The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A warm welcome, everybody. This is Sportbox. Welcome to the program this Monday morning. Let's kick off with the latest Chinese PMI numbers. Factory activity slumps to a record low in February, but local stock markets rise, shrugging off the PMI contraction as investors bet on expectations of central bank stimulus. And the director general of the World Health Organization tells me in an exclusive interview that while the window to contain the coronavirus is narrowing, markets shouldn't panic. The rationality doesn't, doesn't help. We need to go back into the facts and the figures. And based on that, we decide. You've got U.S. futures turning higher despite the global death toll crossing 3,000 and the U.S. reporting its first fatalities. Over in Italy, they plan to pump 3.6 billion euros into its economy to fight the COVID-19 impact as Rome says it needs shock therapy to avoid a recession, whilst France bans large public gatherings and shuts the Louvre Museum. Joe Biden wins his first primary while millennial favourite Pete Buttigieg drops out of the Democratic race, giving the former vice president momentum heading into Super Tuesday. Most Americans don't want to promise of a revolution. What they want is results. Results. Chinese factory activity suffered its sharpest fall on record in February as the coronavirus outbreak hit the world's second largest economy. The private Kaishin manufacturing PMI slumped to 40.3, its lowest reading since the survey was first launched. A reminder, of course, anything above 50 is expansion. Anything below that is contraction. The number comes after official data this weekend also showed manufacturing activity shrank at its fastest pace ever. But Chinese stock markets have shrugged off the dismal reading. Uh, Sherry joins us now from Hong Kong for more on the greater China market reaction. Sherry, good morning to you. And I think the Bank of Japan played its own hand, it seems, in turning around sentiment in Asia this morning. So how do these markets look? Well, it looks pretty good. I mean, I know that uh, it's really coming off from that intense selling that we saw on a Friday, sort of in the lead up to the weekend. Perhaps some of the market participants saw these, you know, dismal numbers to come through this past weekend. And uh, you're looking at the market reaction. I mean, Shanghai Composite higher by more than 3% Shenzhen also uh, doing uh, much better on the day by 3.7%. All that has to do with, you know, stimulus hopes out there. Bad news when it, when it comes to the PMI numbers. As you were going through some of these numbers, I mean, manufacturing 35.7 and non-manufacturing, the official reading coming in in the 20 as something range, I didn't even know it was even possible. So I think such bad data 
and they're thinking that, you know, policymakers are going to step in here. And also, when it comes to, uh, you know, mainland Chinese forces, I think it, we also need to factor in uh, how, you know, Chinese government, the National Development Commission was talking about how they're going to speed up the infrastructure projects. And that's exactly the reason why we see these limit up kind of gains for some of the steelmakers and industrial uh, names as well in that region. And also the epicenter of uh, coronavirus in China, Hubei province, actually reporting a sharp drop in the new confirmed cases as well. So perhaps that's another layer to explain this market positivity. And of course, when we are talking about uh, Hong Kong market, I do want to talk about high bore factor as well, because it certainly seems to be factoring to factoring in to a degree the Fed coming in to help as well, because high bore actually falling to the lowest level since April 2018 as well. Guys? Thank you very much indeed for that. Right, Many times, as viewers know, I'll come to the wall. I'll give some great big narrative. What I'm going to do today, and I'll do it very quickly, is I'm just going to tell you numbers. I'm going to give you no narrative, no editorial. You don't need it. These numbers are extraordinary. So we're looking at some global markets here as well. And as you can see there from Sherry, we do have a rally on. But I'm just going to give you some year-to-date moves on some of these indices. Greece down 21%. The Nikkei uh, over in Japan, down 10.6%. In between that, you've got likes of the RTS, down 16% as well. The Argentinian market, down 16% as well. The Topics, broader Japanese market, down 12%. So big moves to the downside. On the big European indices, and we'll come to the opening calls in a short while, the FTSE last week fell 11%. The DAX fell 12.4% as well. I can move on and take a look at some of the, the Treasuries. Should we do that? Let's move on to the Treasuries then as well. The These yields are quite extraordinary. It goes without saying that they are at record levels, i.e. the 30-year in session on Friday hitting around about 1.638. That was an all-time low. The 10-year hitting 1.16 in session. But as you can see, we've gone below that. That is an all-time low. The 7-year, the 5-year, the 2-year, they are all at all-time lows as well. And in the meantime, incidentally, some of you looking for safe haven in gold, gold had one of its most precipitous declines last week, down 4.6%. So let's have a look at the US indices as well. And I'll just go through this again. I'm not adding any narrative, no editorial. These are pure numbers as well. All 11 sectors in the US are down 10% or worse from their 52-week high as well. The VIX in session last week got up to 49.48. That is one of its highest levels uh, since early part of 2018. The Dow fell last week 12.4%. The S&P fell last week 11.5%. The Nasdaq fell 10.5%. These are extraordinary figures. I'll just go on to some uh, individual sectors before we go into the opening calls. Again, massive, massive moves to the downside. For instance, energy is now down 24% year to date. The financials are down 14% year to date. Elsewhere, I've got materials also down around about 14% year to date. These are big numbers, ladies and gentlemen. You want to know what the opening calls are, and that's why I've saved them for you till now. Right, so we are called higher from the precipitous declines we saw in Friday's session, in Thursday's session, and of course, earlier in the week as well. We do have a rally. I would suggest to you, it all depends as ever on where the US futures go next, which at the moment have come off their weekend lows. So the FTSE is called up around about 2%. The DAX, that looks around about 1.5% to me, just over a percent better for the CAC current. Let's move on. The WHO Director General has told CNBC that markets should calm down. 
I don't know what the WHO know about markets, but there you go. Uh, they've told the markets they should calm down despite the organization raising the global coronavirus alert to very high over the weekend. The lady who conducted that interview uh, was in Riyadh, is Hadley, who joins us now, is she from Dubai? Well, we've just lost Hadley, apparently, at that exact moment I was due to throw to us. So what I can do is I can hand it back to my dear colleagues at the desk. And it's very nice to see yeah. you back from your travels. Yeah, very good morning. It's fascinating, isn't it? I mean, there are so many different aspects to this. What the Chinese PMI, I guess, tells us very clearly at this stage is that um, these idling factories, these reduced work hours, all of this has contributed to weaker prints here. But I, I suppose the real question still remains... As far as this quarter is concerned, and as far as the conversations we've been having with the corporates, to what extent will these numbers be explained away and dismissed as being primarily about coronavirus and not a true reflection of underlying global demand or underlying trends? And that's, I think, the issue that the investor has to come right, to terms point. with this morning, because as they look at the... Obviously, the declines in the markets we've seen, they've got to make a decision as to whether they hold, they twist, they stick... They buy, they sell. What do they do? We're talking about contagion of markets, effectively, aren't we? Yeah. Away from coronavirus and maybe in the trigger, but now animal spirits seem to be a little bit infected in the markets last week. The one message was we need to hear from the Fed. And we heard from the Fed, right? We heard from Jay Powell, who's talking about the US economy being strong, but still talking about the evolution of coronavirus. So the question now is whether you do get that rate cut to try and shield economic growth, or do we have potentially a technical recession in the numbers as a Fed or a central bank sees through some of this weakness because they anticipate a V-shaped recovery? So do they feel the need to stimulate? You're right. Um, and do they use all their ammo and in, in a very hot economy? Because let's remember, in the normal course of events, we would say to our viewers, this is payroll week. So I will say that because I still want to keep a modicum of calm for them as well. This is payroll. And if you've got a hot employment market, how many rate cuts can you have? You said do they cut? Well, the markets, in some respects, are looking for four cuts this year exactly now, which is quite percent. extraordinary. Anyway, look, as you know, ladies and gentlemen, I was on my way out to Dubai when I got rudely interrupted by technicals, but I'm delighted to say Hadley is back with us. And you've been conducting a very important interview. And isn't it exciting, Hadley? Well, not exciting, that's the wrong word. Isn't it extraordinary in times when the markets are making assumptions about coronavirus and now coronavirus experts at the WHO are telling us things about the markets? You got it, Steve. I mean, at the end of the day, the words that I was hearing from the director general of the World Health Organization seemed to be a pretty uh, mixed bag in terms of what he was saying with regards to uh, the possibility of a pandemic. I pressed him on that. I said, what's the threshold of pandemic? Can you give us clear data? Can you give us a number by which we know? And the markets will then know that we're in real trouble here. And he kind of pushed back on me again and again and said, hey, listen, while we talk about uh, a window narrowing with regards to containing coronavirus, that window narrowing, I still want to say again and again to the markets and to folks globally that, you know, there's a kind of hysteria that's taking place that is un unnecessary. He said that about the markets and he also said that about the media reports uh, concerning coronavirus. He said, you know, there are a lot of humanitarian crises out there. This is just one of many. And at the end of the day, it's still too early to say just how bad this is really going to get. But he did say, I have to stress this, he did say that the window in terms of containment is narrowing. Listen in to what he had to say about the markets. No panic, no fear. We need to focus. Of course, concerns and worries are there. There should be, but we should be calmed down and, and, and work. And stigma also should be avoided, which we are seeing and which is dangerous. This virus is everybody's enemy. Everybody's enemy. And as human beings, we, we should stand in unison. 
Discriminating and stigma is the worst. It's more dangerous than the virus itself. Thank in you. Term, in terms of that, um, the WHO has said that this should be a reality check for governments globally. Do you believe that global financial markets need a reality check, given what you've just said about fear and panic? Yes, global markets, it's to everybody, by the way. They shouldn't, they should calm down and try to see the reality, as you said, reality check, facts, figures, and, you know, decide based on that. Rational. We need to continue to be rational. You know, irrationality doesn't, doesn't help. We need to go back into the facts and the figures. And based on that, we decide. So the director general there was saying global markets need a reality check. They need to calm down, look at the facts and figures. Okay, yeah, that's totally fair. But when you're talking about governments that you can't necessarily trust, the Chinese government and their facts and figures, Iranian government and their facts and figures, how do you then uh, paint a clearer picture of, of what exactly is going on? You know, I asked him as well, is the United States getting it right when it comes to their response here? Because we heard various comments from President Trump at rallies uh, for his reelection, essentially calling, you know, this some sort of democratic hoax, you know, that this was a real fear. And, you know, when he came out in that press conference over the weekend, a real serious tone from the president, putting Mike Pence at the fore of this. I asked the director general, are they getting it right? He says it seems to be that they're doing everything that they can and that they should be doing. He still has concerns about Italy and the spread throughout Europe and also concerns, frankly, about Iran. Guys. Hadley, thank you very much for bringing us the update there. The number of people killed by coronavirus has now exceeded 3,000. Several countries have seen their first cases of the infection. In the U.S., health authorities confirmed there had been a second death in the country from the virus, while New York State reported its first case. Elsewhere, the death toll in China rose by 42, but the growth rate of the virus in the country has declined. Uh, U.S. Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell has pledged to act as appropriate to support the economy, issuing a rare statement on Friday. Powell said, while the fundamentals of the economy remain strong, coronavirus poses evolving risks. The Fed chair's message came in response to growing expectations. The central bank will cut interest rates at its upcoming meeting on March 17th and 18th. U.S. stock futures are pointing higher. Um, Arend Captain, uh, uh, global chief economist at UBS, is with us around the desk this morning to help us understand some of these numbers. Good morning to you, Arend. So, so let, let me start off, if I might, with the um, the Chinese data that we had, which was, as anticipated, pretty poor. Can we write that off to coronavirus, or do we need to think of it in terms of greater consequences, greater significance? for both the Chinese economic cycle and what it means for the global cycle? Well, we can't write it off. Um, so I think no surprise on the Chinese data itself. I think that the big question for the market is how much supply chain disruption is sort of embedded in those numbers, because that's going to come back to, to haunt us, I think, in the March data globally. Uh, we think we're in that window now, so activity is clearly very, very subdued. Uh, we've seen port activity recover a little bit, but it really looks like we're going to get about three, four weeks of pretty severe disruption, I think, in global supply chains. And that's not going to hit us really until the April data. So it's going to happen in March. We're going to find out about it in April. So I think there is information in those Chinese numbers. The um, Chinese government has encouraged companies to put workers back to work. And we get 
differing reports as to how well that process is going, you probably have a good line into this. What, what do you see? Yeah, so the resumption rates are back up to about 80%, but resumption just means one person's back in the factory. It doesn't mean capacity utilization is back at 80%. So, so there seems to be this big push to get people back. I think the companies themselves are coming out and saying, look, we're, we're, we're open, but we're not operating at full capacity. I think there's clear resistance on the part of the employees to go back to work, and understandably so. Um, so I think we have to wait a little bit to see what it actually means in terms of economic activity. The high frequency trackers that everyone is looking at don't really show a lot of activity having come back yet. I take your point about the economic hit overall and what that's likely to be. So in the meantime, what do we expect from central banks? We've got a Canadian and an Australian central bank meeting this week. You're expecting some leadership almost from that, those central banks. Do you think we get central banks stepping in to provide stimulus because the hit is going to be sufficient enough to impact economic growth? Yes. So the Powell statement changes everything, I think. There's always comfort in moving as a herd, even for central banks, right? So um, I think the RBA, which we thought was going to cut next month, I think it now happens uh, now, basically imminently. Um, the Bank of Canada, we thought was going to happen next month. I think it, it, there's a high chance it gets brought forward. Obviously, the market is virtually pricing it. Um, I think the, the ones that are more difficult to call, I think, are the BOJ and the ECB. Um, but again, you know, even thinking back to Lane's comments about a week ago where he seemed to firmly shut the door on any ECB move, everything has changed because of what's happened in Italy. So I think there is a sense of you know, the, the BOJ statement overnight. I think there's a sense of some, the need to do something coordinated just to calm the markets. I'm going to be insensitive and say that a lot of our viewers want to put money to work, regardless of what is going on on a social and a demographic basis, and, you know, terrible effects uh, in certain parts of the world. They want to know from you and your team and Barnu and everyone, which countries are going to fare best over the medium term. If we say short term, it could be a bit of a shock for everyone. And they're going to go back to the same kind of logic they looked at in East Asia crisis and other financial crisis, where you look at the ones, for instance, have current account deficits and surplus, the ones who've got their, their house in the best order. So I'm going to ask you that insensitive question. Which countries over the medium term do you think can fare better out of the current events and what's going on? And which countries do you have real red flags about? The medium term being longer than the next six months? Uh, well, let's say six months. Yeah, so um, I think right now we're quite worried about sort of emerging markets. So I think the near term, um, it's outperformed. It's not obvious we're going to get as much China stimulus, I think, as people are hoping for. If you then fast forward to getting past the V-shaped rebound that most people do expect, eventually, I mean, you're going to have a lot of Vs, so it's going to look like a U. But sure. if you get past this coronavirus, then uh, the risk is that the, the, the rebound that people are hoping for is not going to be as strong as, as currently perceived. And so particularly in the cyclical space, you have to be a little bit cautious about, and that's EM, that's commodities. Um, so there, I think we'd be a little bit worried. Um, in I think DM, where do you lie? In DM, I think you go back to the things that have been working, which is basically the US, it's, it's, uh, it's tech. NASDAQ looks fantastic, I think, on sort of a six-month type of horizon. So you look really at the things that have not been that cyclically exposed, are not that exposed to China, are not that exposed to trade. Those are the things that people are going to go back to. And everything that's worked, basically, is what people continue to want to do. You see it in things like value-to-growth ratios, all the stuff that has sort of worked in the midst of the last 18 months sort of global trade stagnation, that's, I think, where people are going to go back for, for safety. Brilliant. Thank you very much indeed. Well, we're talking of technology stocks. I can tell you that uh, Nokia shares were trading 5.6 uh, finish 
uh, krona at one point. They're now trading around about 3.45. So they've come off a long way, Karen. And then there are changes in the company. Yes, uh, just crossing this morning news that the CEO will step down. Rajiv Siri will step down after more than a decade as president and CEO of Nokia and Nokia Siemens Networks. Uh, the new appointment, Pekka Lundmark from Fordham Corporation. So big change uh, at the helm and uh, the new CEO effectively coming in, uh, starting in the role on the 1st of September this year. Uh, I would just wonder whether he's the right CEO, a leading energy company. And we talk about a huge change in technology now around 5G, having the right equipment, coming up with the right innovative solutions, digital services. Is he the right pick to to bring in an energy company expert rather than a necessarily a tech expert to, to lead this company and I think the underperformance of Nokia is one that many shareholders have been wringing their hands over right at the forefront of change. You've only got two major competitors in the space, Ericsson and Huawei. One of those competitors, Huawei, has clearly had problems in getting into the supply chain. So uh, lots, a lot of investors have wondered what's gone wrong with the share price and with the company's execution. There'll be a lot of focus on this choice now as president and CEO. Uh, he's not the uh, pick of the Attorney General of the United States of America, is he? Just ahead of uh, their investment, their major investment into Nokia. Uh, I need to uh, put on. out a correction. Go on. There's no such thing as a finished Krona. <laughs> it's, it's a Euro. <laughs> there we go, despite yeah. everything. Um, yes, of course, you have Danish Krona, you have uh, yeah. Swedish Krona, yeah. Norwegian Krona. Historically, you've had the three, I should yeah. say. You've had the three historically. Yeah, it's, it's like a generic anyway, isn't it? It's like the shilling. The sh- you used to get the shilling everywhere, shilling, yeah. or the penny. Oh, you still have a penny in the US? You yeah. can fry, uh, uh, refer to a cent as a penny, a yeah. penny in the pound. And, and you still dollar. get the centime. Even yes, though exactly. uh, you don't get the French exactly. franc. So, uh, yeah, no, no, no Forgive Krona today, then, guys. Forgive them. <laughs> uh, coming up on the program this morning, President Trump says his administration has taken the most aggressive measures of any country to combat the virus. We'll find out what they are next. If you enjoy Squawk Box Europe, check out the Brave Ones podcast. The series explores the rise of some of the world's most successful entrepreneurs. Through exclusive interviews with family, friends and colleagues, the Brave Ones podcast features stories of determination, resilience and ingenuity. Available on Apple Podcast, Spotify and Google Play. The Brave Ones podcast presented by Credit Suisse. Welcome back, everybody. The U.S. has announced uh, new measures in response to the coronavirus as the country recorded its second death over the weekend. Washington has extended travel its travel ban on Iran to include restrictions on anyone who's recently visited the country. Travel advisories have also been issued on affected areas in South Korea and Italy. President Trump also said he'll be meeting with pharmaceutical companies today to discuss a possible vaccine. Well, over the weekend, the president also attempted to calm nerves over the virus spread stateside. We've taken the most aggressive uh, actions to confront the coronavirus. And they are the most aggressive taken by any country. And we're the number one travel destination anywhere in the world, yet we have far fewer cases of the disease than even countries with much less travel or a much smaller population. 
Right, let's take a look at commodities. And we, we don't stop talking about this off camera, I show you. And one of the most fascinating things of the week was gold. And, and again, dare I say, it, it's, it's a, what is it? That's 100 bucks off its high, give or take the change. There was a 1690 handle on it at one stage as well. Gold's having a bit of a rally again. And again, it was uh, what you were saying off air, Jeffrey. I think What's we that? were talking about on air as well at the tail end of last week when you're in IE. Right. You sell what you can. When, or what you and what you have to, because of course you get margin calls across the board. If you've got something where you've got an asset, maybe that's what's been going. I don't. Know, Aaron Captain, uh, Captain, who's with us, he's a global chief economist at UBS. What do you think happened in gold last week? A little bit similar to dollar yen. I think there's just occasionally a little bit of a wobble in in these safe havens. I think they ultimately still work. Um, there's a better safe haven right now, which is Treasuries. It's a high-yielding safe haven. So I think some of these traditional hedges, the moment they show like they're not behaving, you get people trying to push them in the other direction. I think that's a little bit what happened. So a bit of flow went through, and, and I think you know, it'll resume I, its normal behavior. I um, did uh, a couple of trades last week. I bought heating oil because uh, I live in the countryside, and I have to fill up a great big tank of oil. And I bought it at a level which I haven't seen for a couple of years at least. Now, that is real stimulus to me, albeit, you know, a few pounds here, a few, about 50 quid a tank cheap or a batch cheaper, so I saved 100 quid of oil. That is being replicated across the consumption world. Is the stimulus that I and everyone else who fills up a tank or everyone else who fills up their heating oil or uses it for whatever, is that stimulus greater than anything the Fed can do? Um. Yes, economically, right? So what the Fed does is worth very little. Every every 100 basis points is worth maybe 20 bips of growth in an environment where there's no uncertainty. So really, these rate cuts are going to do very little. I think it's it's more about sort of showing you're not tone deaf, you're you know you're you're cognizant of okay. the things that are happening. So I think that's it's it's pure psychological. I don't think it has any real stimulative effect economically. So the real stimulus has has already is already coming in our cheaper commodities. The the the, the significance of a Fed move is the one that the markets will perhaps get more excited about. Yeah, and it set, well it sets you up for the rebound potentially, but I, I I think that's right. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show weekdays on CNBC.